Martech Stacks, episode 21 with Chris Green. Brought to you by Content Cow. Plan, collaborate on, approve, and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. This is Martech Stacked, the weekly show that delves into the what, which, why, and how of marketing technology. I'm your host, David Bain. And each episode, I'll be chatting with a top marketer or a top technologist about what MarTech they use, which are their top tools, why they use the tools that they do, and how they integrate everything together as part of their overarching content marketing strategy and MarTech stack. I'm joined today by a creative and lateral thinker with an analytical mind. He's a Systrix certified trainer, an on-crawl ambassador, and the Head of Marketing Innovation at Footprint Digital. Welcome to Marketech Stacked, Chris Green. Hi there, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Great to have you on here. Um, of course, you can find Chris over at footprintdigital.co.uk. So, Chris, explain what Footprint Digital does and how you use marketing technology to make it better. So, uh, Footprint Digital are essentially a digital marketing agency um, with a quite a heavy preference to what we say joining the dots so we learn to stitch together parts of digital that that don't happen frequently enough so we're trying to drive insight from joining things up which you know is <clears throat> a kind of a big ambition because the job is still harder than it needs to be in this day and age but um that's kind of part of it i think the the our key services our key focuses are seo paid search conversion rate optimization and then the tracking the analytics parts as well so they're the kind of the main key areas but we also work with email um and do a lot of kind of content based kind of campaigns so um <clears throat> From that sense, you know, offering of a fairly traditional um, search agency, I guess, to that end. But one of the things that we try and do, and we're, we're constantly building, I don't think we'd ever say we'd achieve it because there's a whole degree of the minute you think you've solved this, you failed, is, you know, we're trying to find ways of tying together and using data better. Um, and that's not in the way that we mean <clears throat> these kind of, you know, larger, more substantial brands and companies that can do, you know, when you're running into sort of tall costs of thousands or tens of thousands a month it's actually how can we use the data that we all have better and how can we empower people to do that and that's kind of a key and the, the underpinning motto is you know helping every business achieve more online um so <clears throat> technology is a huge part of that and the the key for us fun, fundamentally is there's only so many hours in the day how can you help everyone achieve more and we do that via a number of ways but one of that is how we use our kind of internal tools and you know partner tools and technology too gain insight far quicker so i'm sure like most marketers digital marketers however you want to call people nowadays it's a challenge to um, just select three key marketing technology tools rather than actually make a list of all the 20 or so <laughs> by the sound of it tools that you use so it must have been a challenge a challenge for you to actually decide on the top three so but but let's zero in on them and uh, ask you starting off with the number three what are your top three tools in your current martech stack and why and yeah, brilliant. I think the the um, you've kind of already mentioned two of them by virtue of, of what I do and and who I'm involved with day to day. And I think um, so of the top three, I think first thing first things first is is Citrix, which is um, German based um, search visibility kind of dashboard or piece of software, which I've been working with Citrix for nearly two years now, and I'm a certified trainer, and I use this data literally on a day to day basis in the sense that my for for all its sins, I'm an SEO or have been an SEO for sort of well over ten years. I'm kind of involved well beyond that now, but your know, search intelligence is kind of the key, and it, it's a 
key tenant of whatever we do. Um, so that's that's number one. And as I said, I think if nothing else, just by the frequency of use, that has to be at the top of the list. <laughs> okay, so so we'll, we'll do it in that, that that order. You know, we normally start off number three and work up towards number one. Oh, and, and I went big, the wrong way. Big, big oh, drum no. roll, but that's okay. We'll start off number one. Uh, just driving into Systrix a little bit more. Um, I'm aware of Systrix. I don't believe I'm actually actively use them. I've used loads of SEO type platforms in the past. What makes Systrix different compared with other tools out there? Yeah, I think the, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of close comparisons in the market out there. And, you know, it's, it's a, I shan't kind of run through them all now, but essentially the, the reason why um, I get most more out of this, uh, you know, Systrix and what I kind of take from it is first things first is in the UK and US, they have circa, you know, 10 years plus of data um, for search engines. And that's built on the same kind of keyword set, broadly speaking, for that entire time. So um, when you look at the visibility of any website in search today and you compare it to you know, the start of that index, that benchmark is entirely comparable for the entire length of that period. Um, and a lot of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is um, – is someone will bring a, a domain or a website to me and we usually say we've got a problem or this has happened. And one of the, the, the key challenges is always finding out actually what has actually happened to a website. You know, you always get an account of what someone thinks has happened, but um, being able to look back, you know, 10 years or more in a website's history by how Google's seen it, so how visible they've been through Google for that period of time, you can understand quite a lot of things. So, for example, you can see, you can pinpoint the exempt, the exa of, the, for example, that they may have switched from HTTP to HTTPS. You can um, monitor migrations across domains and see what the step change or difference in visibility is. And um, that's only but scratching the surface. So I think that the completeness of that data um, is really, really kind of useful. Um, I think that the way that it's kind of pitched and presented, it's it's much more geared towards um, people who are really experienced in search. Um, the, the, they just basically give you the data and, and effectively you just query it however you would using the, the user interface. So the, the barrier to entry for some can be a little challenging, but it's for completeness of data and the way that you can visualize it, I, I don't think there's a better um, proposition out there. And it's, you know, um, when you know where stuff is and you, you kind of, you know, kind of start getting behind sometimes the complex infrastructure of it. It's it's really a um, strong piece of uh, uh, equipment. That seems like a good tool or platform to have in your arsenal, um, because I think a lot of similar tools um, that SEOs use at the moment, I think, give you a great picture of where a website is at the moment, how a website's doing at the moment. But that historical data, to me, almost... Um, looks like a combination between similar web and even archive.org where you're actually seeing the, the history of that website and because of that you can get a feel for what they've gone through and i guess from that history what be maybe impacting its present performance absolutely it's and i mean the one of the ways that i never expected this would be really useful is actually um in a sales capacity so developing new business you know working leads um within about half an hour of being told that i need to speak to someone you know you get given your, their domain you can go into that meeting knowing more than sometimes the people sat around the table um and you know say oh that migration two years ago you know these mistakes happen don't make them again for example just that little snippet of information and a, a slide to back it up is is incredibly essential and and 
context is is hugely key in this and you know obviously we start going back years and years or as we go back years and years sorry through a, a website's performance we then have to account for algorithm changes within google and and other you know SERP features and elements like that and Citrix is endeavouring to put those in there, as far as I'm aware, and the information is, is very good. But um, yeah, it's knowing where someone is today is useful if you're going to then set the benchmark against the future. But there's always a need to, well, go back, go back a bit and find out what's happening. And um, there are other tools out there that their, their index of data, try not to hit the microphone, their index of data is, is constantly expanding and growing. And unfortunately, when that happens is your ability to look back is clouded by that ultimately because you're not comparing like for like so if you're if you really like the integrity of data and you'd like like for like comparisons and you love to go backwards as well as look forwards it's it's yeah it's such a good opportunity for that and i love the fact that you touched upon it's actually a great pre-sales tool as well and you can go on to you go into a client pitch and you can be as you mentioned a lot more informed perhaps even than they are about why certain things have happened and what something that may have occurred historically may may have may have affected things. You can you can pinpoint a, a URL change or a HTTPS change as you mentioned that that, that may still be resulting performance today, and um, they, they they could have actually um, received so much more organic traffic in the in the in the past and just not known what happened or or perhaps even put it down to a Google algorithm change that they couldn't have done anything about, but actually it was something that they did um, internally with their own site structure that, that you can still pick up upon and, and suddenly um, hopefully uh, ho hopefully gain a lot more traffic as a result of um, identifying that. Absolutely. And and I think the, the, the real strength, and, and you know this could be said of any, technology that does this but the, obviously you can see what's happened in the past and you, and you know how do you know if um it's an algorithm change or it's something that you've done concretely and one of the the really good ways to show that is you can overlay competitor information certainly on a lot of the key graphs and tables so you can say well at this point in time an algorithm update hit and you went down but all of your competitors went up for example and again it just helps build yeah. a little more context or conversely an algorithm hit no one was impacted but then you made this change and only you dropped and there's it's it's you know narratives involving competitors is is an, um, an area that can work really well or it can backfire massively and I, I think you've got to be careful how how you you play that and some businesses are um fundamentally driven differently by that kind of information um and and you know uh, chasing after what someone else has got isn't necessarily the best kind of way in my experience but it's perfect for the context of it and again you just the more intelligence the more insight you can have by this the better um and you know the, uh, actually this tool and a couple of the others that we'll, we'll talk through they they all output to google's data studio as well they've all got apis and endpoints and that whole ability to say well how do we make this more into our processes? So rather than build it in their reporting suite and then copy and paste it into a document and, and, and a fairly kind of tedious process, it's let's just pull that data in. You know, let's just plot that main visibility line and we can tell the story with that. And then we can dive into other data underneath in our own branding, in our own format. It just feels a bit slicker as well, which is um, cherry on top. So just uh, staying with uh, Citrix for just a second before moving on to the next tool. Um, if, we're, if we're in this pitch situation and you've um, you mentioned there's an opportunity to to match uh, our clients or prospective clients' data against competitors' data, would you ask them beforehand who their biggest clients are, or would it actually 
serve you in better light um, by identifying the clients yourself and just coming up with everything um, yourself prior to the pitch meeting? I think it's, it, that's a good question because people's perception of who their competitors are and then who their competitors actually are in any given space are often are often quite different. And I've seen some assumptions go really badly wrong sometimes. So a lot of it's dependent on your own ability and knowledge to kind of pitch and present that. But mm. as, a, as a rule, we always ask that and say, well, who do you see as your competitors? And if, if their response is, well, you should tell me that, it's like absolutely perfect, I will do. But who do you perceive? And it's the perception part that's interesting. However, with, with something like, you know, Cistrix having that visibility data, well, if we work out that, I don't, for argument's sake, these 100 keywords are their most important, well, we can, within the dashboard, create a list of who are the competitors just for that 100 terms only, rather than just who does the website overlap with. It's just who overlaps in any given space. And certainly, if we're talking about Google, they are your competitors in Google. There is no other two ways about it. It, it almost, in the sense that they're occupying positions above or below you, whether they are going to be going head to head on the key products and services will very wildly but um and that that's still quite that can be eye-opening as well because typically you get that you people say well we're not amazon or we're not ebay it's like but whether you like it or not you're operating in their space so where they're located around you is important even if the goal is not beating them and that's the kind of the killer context to provide there but the the, the i guess the health warning with this is if you don't do your research and due diligence around the website um you can pick the wrong competition quite easily. Um, and sometimes that can expose your yeah. own naivety around it. Um, so there is a, there's a buyer beware. It doesn't matter how much data you get out of the tool. If you don't actually look at what space you're operating in properly, you could, you can end up with egg on your face. Hopefully that doesn't happen to me that much anymore. <laughs> I'm sure it happens to everyone on occasion, but uh, <laughs> look, I, I, it's, it, I, I like looking at competitors because, or asking people about competitors, because as you say, their perception of who their competitor is can, can actually be completely different um, with regards to which website is taking away more traffic or which web website is resulting in um, a customer deciding to actually move somewhere else. So um, per perception and reality for competitors is, is, is quite different sometimes. But uh, so that was Systrix. That was your number one. And um, let's move down to number two. What, what's your number two MarTech tool? <laughs> My number two MarTech tool. So, um, and this is, um, again, we sort of mentioned it earlier. I'm an ambassador for them. It's Oncrawl. Um, so Oncrawl is um, essentially, well, it's turning into a data science platform or a platform that merges data science and seo but i think for anyone who works in the industry you'll know it best as a crawler as a, a piece of software that um effectively tries to crawl and look at a website in the way that google might to provide more sort of technical seo feedback and recommendations um on you know that website so it's it's kind of a vital piece of equipment in any seo's toolbox and you know crawlers like on crawl come in many different flavors um the on crawls ability or the the one of the elements that i like it for the most is it's um based on the cloud so some are based on desktops and are limited to your own hardware and infrastructure which can be kind of punishing especially if you're running off a notebook or something small you know crawling a large website with a desktop crawler will well it will end it unfortunately <laughs> um so this is based uh supported with the power of the cloud but um 
the other kind of key facets and elements that work really well on this is is on crawler moving into the data science space so the idea of you encru- you crawl a website so you look at the website as far as you can do but then you enrich it with data from other sources and then you start to try and determine other key elements about it so whether you're comparing it with uh, website server logs whether you're ingesting data from majestic like backlink tracker google analytics google search console um they're the kind of the key sort of standard points of enrichment that you can do but they're starting to move into more machine learning and experimental side of things and i think within the next sort of couple of years we'll start to see far more interesting almost predictive methods of understanding what happens what happens if we change something based on the data we're getting and we're going in and a lot of that's not i guess on the marketplace yet but um that's you know it's a, a direction they've widely signaled is wanting to move into and it's it's quite some there's some exciting stuff in there um that realistically i don't use a lot of that on my day-to-day i mean fundamentally someone says can you audit this website i plug it into one crawl i click crawl and i come back you know when it's done um and analyze the data but there there's some there's the other cool exciting bits that um nerds like me enjoy waiting as well so what's the most similar tool to OnCrawl that's available um, out there that, that, that people would potentially also be using? And what makes, makes on, OnCrawl different or perhaps a little bit better to that? Oh, that's interesting. Um, so other tools that are similar, um, DeepCrawl, um, Botify are kind of two big ones that occupy quite closely in the same space. I think probably maybe DeepCrawl would be the one that most would be familiar with. Um, what makes it different i mean quite often the difference between a lot of these tools is is the um the pricing and the packaging relative to what you get need from a capacity and a scaling sense um and they typically each of these tools tends to pitch a different level um of i guess enterprise brand to some are sme based um there are other versions out there that are that i didn't list that are even like proper ecom space uh, I'm sorry, proper enterprise space that only go, come in quite high. So the level varies wildly. Why Why is Uncle better? I think there's a couple of elements. I think for, for me, um, Uncle just presented a really, really nice way of um, ingesting, analyzing a lot of data in one. Um, and actually, I think it's, it'd be unfair to say that maybe Botify and DeepCrawl don't do that because they've all accelerated and moved at different paces. So I know Botify got there quite early with the log file analyses and that kind of auditing. But from a price point, they were quite high. They were certainly prohibitive for the clients I was working on at the time. Um, and Uncle presented a really good value option for that. So I think initially the value... The, the price point of the value is where Oncrawl kind of really came into its own. But um, I think it maybe would be unfair to say that that's their main kind of selling point now. I think the um, I, I think the the customization of the dashboards and essentially I I've got my own preference on how I like to do an audit. You know, I've I've kind of gotten used to workflows. I've gotten gotten my way, and I think being able to build these views, you know, reports or tables or custom setups, and you'll know what you're looking for in an audit. The, you know, this is an e-commerce website of a certain size. These are kind of problems I'm going to get. Okay, so this is the table view that I need to import to unsurface that data. So those kind of things just help speed up that audit process quite quickly because you're not so much sifting through trying to look for things you've already got your, I guess I like to think of them as recipes. You know, this is my recipe for identifying this problem. Um, but then the the other side and what's been really useful time and again is it lets you classify page groups. So when you're when you're working on a large website, you know, anything over a hundred thousand pages or more, perhaps 
a page by page level is actually not that useful. You almost want to be looking at your groupings of pages. So what kinds of things am I looking at? And OnCrawl lets you define that via a URL level, which is very useful. But in cases where you can't define that in the URL, URL level, it lets you, lets you use other means to match it up as well. So you can look for page elements and say, well, anything that has these elements, we need to group. Um, and that is a incredibly powerful tool um, when you need it because not every website is able to, um, you know, you can't distinguish page types from the URL if the URL structure isn't represented there fundamentally. You mentioned 100,000 pages there. It, do you offer a, the OnCrawl service for every one of your clients or do you find that um, OnCrawl and similar kind of services are only suitable for websites over a certain page number? Um, good question. Yeah, I mean, we I wouldn't... As a barrier to, or no, sorry, as a barrier, as a sort of a standard, we, it's not always necessary. So I mentioned desktop-based crawlers, so Screaming Frog or Sightbulb are kind of two of the, the key incumbents in that space. And Screaming Frog is still a, a staple that, that will be used in the agency. The, you know, if a client comes on with a couple of hundred page website, for example, it's, it's quicker sometimes just to run it via Screaming Frog and you've got the data there. And then it's almost, you know, firing up a AWS instance to crawl. It isn't always necessary. Um, so it's not a blanket thing that we do, but um, yeah, it's almost a pre anything over a hundred thousand pages. We would run it through on crawl, um, mainly just to, um, for continuity sake. So, you know, if we're all working remotely at the moment or we're kind of changing, we're all on laptops. If you need to run a large crawl of a large e-commerce website and it's got to run on a desktop or a, a laptop, your chances of that crawl failing is quite high. Um, and if it's taken a day to crawl or two days to crawl and then you find out on day two it's failed, it affects timelines as well. So the, the robustness of the infrastructure is not there, whereas on crawl you can monitor it from anywhere. You've got the dashboard, different members of the team can check in. If we see that a crawl's not working as we need it to, you can pause it, adjust it, or you can cancel it mid-flow and, and start again. Um, so for the large stuff, that's essential. It's, and it's, it was, you know, the, there are ways to work around it with Screaming Frog and others, but um, they are they come with a bit of a technological kind of need that we don't have if it's all based on the cloud. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, the, the fact that teams are becoming a lot more remote nowadays and perhaps that's not going to be changing anytime soon, if ever, it's more important now to use cloud-based services that um, won't take up so many resources from a local machine and uh, I guess will run day or night as well. Absolutely. And running at the night is, the, is a key part as well. It's um it makes life so much easier. Um and it's just a continuity thing. And and I, I think that's the great thing about a lot of the tools we use now from a continuity sake, they're all cloud based. Um so actually our robustness of it is, is really simple. All you need is a login and an internet connection and you can resume services required, which is it's hard to put a price on that. But if I went back fifteen years or twenty years maybe and said that this would be what we're working on, you, you kind of wouldn't believe it. Um or I certainly wouldn't anyway. Yeah. Well, even in even even the last ten years, things have changed radically. I was involved in um, SEO as well. Um, I, I um, probably got started about two thousand and five or so, but actually working for an agency in in two thousand and twelve and two thousand and twelve, most SEO consultants were um, running everything themselves rather than actually using cloud based third party tools. They, they, they I don't recall them 
existing or, or certainly not being used um, at that time? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think what I was crawling on back then. I think it, I mean, Zenu Linksloof was one that um, mm. is, is quite a really, really old one. And then you've got IS Toolkit and there there kind of been a whole range of, but you're right, they were all desktop based. I think Screaming Frog was pretty much around then. I'm, yeah, I'm almost saying it was then, but it's, um, it, yeah, I think the way it's all moved to the cloud, I think it's it's become something that wasn't attainable to something that, in theory, the vast majority of practitioners can can use, and the the barrier to entry has dropped significantly too. Um, I you know, ten years ago, you wouldn't even engage on a, or I certainly wouldn't have even engaged on a sales call with them because most of these tools costed you know several times more than the average client retainer in the business case for them. For what value, extra value they mm. provided was just simply just not doable but we uh yeah the the dynamic has shifted completely now it's it, you absolutely can do now so we before we get into a real seo geek out uh, I, i'll just say that um <laughs> Cistrix was your s martech tool number one on crawl yeah. um tool number two what is your martech tool number three well, yeah, this is great because I actually stopped the SEO geek out now because this is something slightly different. Um, so my actual tool number three is um, a piece of software called uh, Active Campaign, and this is a marketing automation platform, um, primarily used in an email context, but it's um, something that uh, I only really got into using because we'd had a couple of clients that were using it and they'd essentially said, well, you know, we need some support from this marketing automation standpoint. We need some workflows that can support the customer journeys. Um, have you used this before or can you help us? And I've, I've used HubSpot and Salesforce and a few others and, you know, uh, in various different flavors over the years. And, um, you know, if you understand the principles of marketing automation, the execution is relatively straightforward. You know, a lot of it's kind of good marketing. So, we we jumped headfirst into Active Campaign, and actually, it's um it's it's quite a powerful piece of software for what is essentially fairly entry level in the market. I'd say it's sort of pricing wise, it's sort of pitched around a Mailchimp level, and albeit you know Mailchimp bringing in a lot more automations and similar kind of functionality. But um, the 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 fundamental kind of point that this enables, and it's I mean, it comes back to some almost cliches but you know the, the the silos of marketing activity kind of don't really exist anymore um i mean did that, that i suppose they didn't really exist they only existed in the minds of the people who did it rather than the customers i mean obviously customers don't care but um active campaign helps us realize that transition across media across platforms it helps join up how we actually tell stories um you know to go from super technical seo ones talking about telling stories using software but this is a this is much more a case of you know someone signs up um for a form or receives an ebook and then you know through that process we can send them several different mail shots we can put them into different facebook audiences we can retarget them we can get them back we can then send them to their own bespoke landing pages and all that while you know you can score these users on well how well are they engaging how much do they spend what are they what do they like and you know this targeting can be as granular as you want it to be the only limitation usually is the budget that you're willing to push to get these people re-engaging again but um the, the just how that's managed and how that's tied together is so unbelievably simple um and it's it yeah because of that it just becomes a very powerful tool and um you know what you do with it is limited by your imagination really so I've had a I've had a couple of guests um, say that Active Campaign's the number one choice for them, and I've had a couple of others actually say, no, it's not quite right for them because it's a little bit overkill. They prefer something um, 
simpler like ConvertKit or MailChimp, uh, as you mentioned. I even had one guest, Gavin Bell, say that he moved um, from ConvertKit to ActiveCampaign and then back to ConvertKit again because ActiveCampaign was was a little bit too much. I also had um, the founder of Demio come on and say that um, ActiveCampaign was possibly a little bit more suitable for just e-commerce brands um, because they could take full advantage of all the automation it had to offer and um, all the options for delivering different messages to people visiting different web pages. So it, it's a long way of saying, is Active Campaign perhaps a little bit overkill for an agency, or do you find that you're really taking advantage of all the features that it offers? Oh, good one. I mean, the, the answer to the second part, are we making advantage of all the features? No. <laughs> I think because you're right, it's it's quite a heavy um, sort of piece. I think for, for me, the a large feature or complexity and large amount of features doesn't really put me off, but I think a large portion of my job is using tools and testing new ones and speaking with people about others so th because of who i am i guess and what i do that's nah, fine um uh, but equally there is some elegance in simplicity so i get that and and actually i do still use mailchimp too um for certain things i think for us um it helps to just be aware and, and use the same technology as a lot of our clients do because and it's something i learned when um going through the the hubspot inbound marketing process years ago and it's it's some point to to help deliver the best service of, for someone through at all you have to have done it for yourself and actually understand and appreciate what it is you're asking for um so i that's a long way and winded way of me saying i i want to get stuck in with those tools that we need to be using and that's you learn a lot via that um i think that's a great point there i i, I it's I, i'm i was looking at it initially from the point of view as is it overkill for an agency? And possibly it is overkill for an agency. However, if that's the tool that the majority of your clients want to use, you kind of need to be using it all the time to be comfortable using it and to be able to consult with your clients on how, how best to get um, full use out of it. Absolutely. And it's, you know, there, there are so many, we're spoiled for choice um, with regards to what, what marketing automation platforms we can use. I mean, I'm still experimenting or toying with the idea of going open source and setting up a server with Mortic on there, which is a completely open sourced version of it. And um, just to just because I'm that way inclined, but want to experiment with it, see how it works and 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 whether that can provide any additional value there. And I, um, it comes down to preference. Um, one, we had a client um, come in the other day saying, oh, I'd had a previous agency tell me to avoid MailChimp like the plague. Are they right? And the short answer is, well, no, that's quite an unhelpful statement because MailChimp is a perfectly functional platform for the things that it's built for. And it's what is your individual use case? Um, and you mentioned you know, Shopify, uh, not Shopify, ActiveCampaign links into Shopify really, really well. And if you've got your customer data mm -hmm. flowing straight into it, um, the power related to that is, is immense from, you know, related sales, upsells, cross-sales, etc. Um, but if you're never going to ever want to do that, then don't that's not actually essential but if you do need that don't go to a tool provider that you'd have to kind of fudge your work around for um because yeah. there are a couple of tools the names escape me now that are much more they they let you build the logic essentially and they they let you go in much more granular so you can build really intricate solutions but they're not very stable or they're not always very stable because the more you build yourself the more custom logic you put into it um it doesn't get supported then and it's just not the same so um yeah i i, I think do does an agency need it no probably not 
but equally the the landing page stuff that they do um the forms the capture the fact that it's got a built-in crm can also be incredibly useful although we do actually have a separate crm so i would never use that crm if we've got our own because the last thing you want is two closely matching but out of sync crms that's like well that causes so many problems probably more <laughs> problems than it fixes in my so, experience so you're obviously someone that loves technology and perhaps getting into <laughs> doing things manually yourself as well and then automating things as well so i'd be interested to get your take on the next question and which is as your business grows what's an example of a process that you currently do manually that you may wish to automate using marketing technology in the future oh yeah it's a good one so i think um our sales process is relatively manual in the sense of how the, the data is kind of fed through um, and it works perfectly and it has done for a while, but the that's one I'm itching to um, automate um, in much more depth. And I think a lot of the, we put out quite a lot of content, quite a lot of bespoke content to people that are, you know, whether they're clients, whether they're prospects or whether they're partners or related. And we do a lot of that manually, um, which is work to date because we the output isn't that high, but the, our content output is going to explode over the next six months because we've finished writing the kind of the book of our training course. We've filmed the training course because we couldn't teach it because of COVID. And we've suddenly got this library of content that we need to get out to people. And it's got to be through marketing automation. Um, you know, the, the list segmentation needs to be up to date. The, you know, how old is the customer? What's the customer's value? When did they last interact? Who last spoke with them? You know, that data needs to be segmented. Um, within an inch of its life so we can build some really kind of good um, funnels and workflows that target them and talk to them appropriately. I think that's, and that's one thing that is kind of the key is, is just talking to people appropriately without needing to be on the phone with them. That's the big MarTech challenge um, that we've got. And, um, you know, the, the blessing in Sky, you know, we're not doing face-to-face -face meetings anymore, which kind of sucks in many ways, but what it's given us the opportunity to do is have more uh, more of an impact across a broader set at once. Um, but if we're smart about it, and that's where, yeah, lists, list data. I think I talk to a lot of people about lists and data sources at the moment, and they tend to roll their eyes at me. But um, this is kind of why, because it's, it's the fairly unglamorous and almost tedious part of making that whole machine work. Um, and yeah, so that that's our goal. It's going to be a lot of me staring at CSVs, I feel, for the next couple of weeks. I tell you what, that answer gives me so many potential tangents that I could uh, take and, <laughs> and walk through, but I, I'm not going to do that just now. I'm going to ask you, what's something that you have in mind that would be a wonderful piece of marketing technology that perhaps doesn't even exist yet, but you would love to see created? Oh, okay. So the biggest one on my wish list at the moment. So I've um, I've massively into... Um, or being sort of dabbled with SEO split testing. Um, so how can you show Google two sets of data at once or two versions of a page type at once and test what works better? And it's 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 a really tough challenge. And Search Pilot, formerly Distilled's ODN, were kind of the first meaningfully to the market, and there have been several others since. Um, but what's missing from that is, for me, is with GPT-3, I think that's right, like machine learning, algorithms and their ability to write what eventually one day i'd love to see is a split testing tool that optimizes its own content based on performance and testing um so from a the e-commerce seo problem is always product content 
and it's, it's hard because it takes forever to write and it's a pain and you don't always see the value initially. Whereas actually, if, if there is a system that runs on the edge on Cloudflare workers, for example, that can optimize copy based on performance in Google using machine learning, that would be the tool that I'd love to be signed up for. Actually, let me in on the beta or the alpha. It, it, it's the next stage of AI, isn't it? AI being able to actually create creative content and that, that, that creative content could even be audio or, or I guess even potentially even video, but, uh, but and, and the written form as well. I remember seeing a Guardian article that was um, published by a bot. And yep. um, the question was whether or not actually the text that it produced was as good quality as a journalist. And it was it was quite hard to differentiate, really, to be honest with you. It's, it's certainly coming. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think it's, in some respects, I'm relieved that it's not here yet because you know that whole they're coming for our jobs um take is is a slightly perturbing one um but you know that that article i think they fed out they output like six versions of the content and they spliced them together and it took an editorial team to bring it which and in fairness an editorial team has to do that to real human content as well i know it does with mine whenever i publish stuff but um it's not ready it's not quite there yet leader columns and editorials but for e-commerce content for meta descriptions for all the boring unsexy pieces of content that we resent writing i think it presents a a really great opportunity and it's it's something that i wish i had far more time to look into than i do I, fundamentally my lack of detailed knowledge in the area is probably my biggest prohibitor i'm not a i'm not a developer um but i yeah i i think that would for SEO, that could be that could be a game changer for quite a, a number of websites, and we're definitely seeing this massive push to online ecom that COVID's have helped accelerate. And you know that system that can optimize and test content on the edge and just deploy it, tell you when it's done, tell you what's worked, how much revenue have we made extra because of our efforts. Yeah, sign me up. That'd be brilliant. Well, you certainly sound as if you've got a lot of detailed knowledge in lots of areas, <laughs> and you shared many different thoughts with us today. But um, what would you say is the one key takeaway for the listener from? today's discussion. So I'm going to sound like a hypocrite, I think, when I say this. Um, so I've talked about lots of different tools and and I've picked three and I think you're right when I could have picked 20 or maybe 40. Um, but actually my biggest piece of advice to anyone who wants to get the most from tools, who's not just sort of an enthusiast like me, um, is be really kind of critical over what a tool gives you and actually what tangible benefit do, does it present you. Um, I think if you're not disciplined, um, they can be a distraction and at worst um, can run counter to what they try and do. So the more tools that you buy that, that profess to do different things, the more different elements, if they're not part of your workflows and you don't make them work for you, they, they do the opposite. Not only do they cost more, but they slow you down. So I'd actually say is actually go, go on a, a tool detox to a degree and just think, well, what do I actually need? Um, and, and then remove from there. So that's me being an absolute hypocrite because I'm the opposite. I, I think I probably work with about 60, 70% of tools that I, if I didn't view them again tomorrow, it wouldn't cause me any problems. I just, that's just me. But um, yeah, be really critical and, and streamline where you can. Do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, and this is this is one of the few I've, I've taught a lot of team members that and they said, but you're the worst for that. I go, yep, I know. I'm the voice of experience. <laughs> Chris, um, you've offered a lot of great advice today. Um, thank you so much for your time and your tips. What's the best way for the listener to find out more about you and what you do? Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Um, the best way to find out, I mean, uh, Twitter is probably where you're best likely to get in touch. My DMs are always open, um, but it's at chrisgreen87. Um, you already mentioned the Footprint Digital website, footprintdigital.co.uk. Um, 
obviously you can drop me a contact there or failing that linkedin uh also chris green 87 i think but um uh, yeah I, I i pontificate and talk about this stuff um quite a lot um outside of it so if, if anything comes to mind or you've got any questions um drop me a line i quite enjoy just talking about it as you might tell so say hi to chris and uh, have a bit of a pontificate with him uh, <laughs> thanks again chris and thank you dear listener for joining us if you haven't done so already sign up for your free trial of content cal plan collaborate on approve and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface plus check out all the other martech stack show episodes over at contentcal.io also wherever you're watching or listening to this show let us know your opinion what are the three most important marketing technologies in your business? Let us know and we'll try and give you a shout out on a future show or maybe even have you on as a future guest. Thanks again. <laughs>